Hi, this is Dinesh Tadepali, co-founder of Incredible Eats. Uh, we are trying to save the world from plastic pollution. Did you know 100 million plastic utensils are disposed of every single day in the US alone per day? So, did you eat your spoon or spork today? Welcome back to the Meet the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining me today is Dinesh Tadapali, chief spoon seller and co-founder of Incredible Eats, a startup that's attempting to replace single-use plastic cutlery with edible alternatives. So how does that work, you might be asking? Well, they need both sweet and savory options, as you can imagine. Think ice cream versus hot soup. And their products have to perform better than paper alternatives, which often get soggy, which they do. Edible cutlery is something that's never been before seen or implemented at scale, and the company was featured on Shark Tank where they received multiple offers. The company is carbon negative in everything they do, and they're proof that the best way to avoid dealing with waste is to prevent it from ever reaching the landfill to begin with. And more than that, Dinesh has an incredible personal journey that I just know you're going to love. So here's Dinesh Tadapali of Incredible Eats. <laughs> I love it, Dinesh. Welcome to the show. Very glad to have you here. So we're going to start with a Shark Tank speed round. Quick, sum up your product in 30 seconds. Go. Why should I invest in you? We invented edible cutlery at mass uh, at mass scale to replace single-use plastic utensils. As I mentioned, 100 million of, of them are being used every single day. Our edible spoons, forks, and straws are made with whole grains. They're vegan, and they stay firm for up to 30 minutes in hot soups. And they, are, they also come in sweet and savory flavors. So clearly you're a man who has practiced this before. You're ready for Shark Tank, I can see. How long did it take you to practice that pitch before you had it down? Uh, to be frank, I've been giving a lot of pitches so that I, I didn't really put that much, that much effort into it. I'm very, I mean, I, I don't have this stage fear or any fear to talking to people. So that's why I don't care if I make a mistake or anything. It just comes out of me. You just, you naturally know what to do. Well, that was perfect. Yes. I put you on the spot there. We didn't rehearse that and you did yeah. an excellent job. I felt very good about that. Thank so you. we know that single-use plastic is a problem generally. We've talked about it on this show many times before, many different solutions to that problem from cleaning up the waste that's already in the ocean to preventing it. We have talked to uh, somebody who's trying to replace drinking straws because we know that drinking straws are still a problem. Mm -hmm. In many parts of the world, that's no longer the case. For example, in Europe, you can't have plastic drinking straws in many of the places that we've been. But here in the United States, we seem to be woefully far behind on these fronts. And especially when it comes to cutlery and utensils, we've talked to some people who are solving this in very innovative ways, I might add. But this is a sort of a new twist on that. And that's why I wanted to have you on that show. So edible seems so logical. How did you end mm -hmm. up on this concept? Yeah, actually, it happened at the least expected places. I was at an ice cream shop about four years ago with my kids. And uh, we had an ice cream like for 10, 15 minutes. And then I was just throwing my kids and my spoons and cups into the bin and I just peeped into it and I saw so many plastic spoons there. And I suddenly hit me a question. I'm an educated person. I'm aware of plastic pollution. But why didn't I think twice before using a spoon for just for 15 minutes when I know that it's going to stay in the planet for decades or centuries? So that is literally my starting point of this journey. Basically asking why people are so used to the convenience of like at, at, at any place that they go. Why are they not uh, implementing what they think in their minds because we all know most of us know about it but why aren't we acting on it that's my question and that's how it started yeah well that's a really good point because if you have kids as i do you've got these situations where most of the places that you visit do not have 
any kind of compostable or biodegradable cutlery. Mm -hmm. They have that plastic. And what's worse, they have the plastic knife that's wrapped in another layer of plastic. Yeah. Yep, and yep, I hate that list. one worst of all. <laughs> and sometimes like we're, there, we're, there's a really nice garden nearby where I live. And uh, my daughter will go and reach for that because she likes playing with the plastic. So she insists that we get a plastic knife and fork and then unwraps it and then likes playing with it. So each time she does that, it just breaks my heart a little bit. Because yep. I think, oh, why? I wouldn't do it if it wasn't for you. But for her, it's like a toy at this mm -hmm. point. But I'm with you. It's it's heartbreaking. And especially in those rare moments, I, I thankfully don't get fast food very often. But in those rare moments where I do, you eat, 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 and then you've got a bag full of trash. And then some part mm -hmm. of you just knows, oh, that cost me way more than 10 bucks. Agreed, agreed. And another another thing I researched was the alternatives to single-use plastic. Even at places where who are using compostable spoons or biodegradable spoons, a lot of people do not know the challenges of composting them correctly because you have to sort them well. You have to have a dedicated bin and people have to put it without mistake, without contaminating with anything else. It has The city has to pick it up. It has to go to a composting facility. Not every city has composting facilities. And if and even if we go to the composting facility, not everyone accepts cutlery because it's too small and they're afraid of comp contamination. So there are a lot of challenges there. Like I, There's a survey that literally only like got four to five percent of the actual compostable cut cutlery or cut utensils are being composted correctly. So that has been a challenge too. And from coming back to my original thought, right? Irrespective of you know about plastic pollution or not, like I would say only 10 to 15% of the people would know about all this. Others people, others may not be aware of it. My problem was I want to make sure everyone acts on it. So that's one of the reasons I went edible because let's say I have no clue. That's like my, my wife. She doesn't have any clue about plastic pollution or climate change. She goes to a shop. She sees a plastic spoon and she's also giving an, given, given an opportunity to take an edible spoon instead. Just for the fun sake of it, for the uniqueness sake. And it's like add, having a cone at an ice cream shop rather than a cup. Sure. So right. just for an alternative sake, she would try that. And indirectly, she would contribute to less plastic. So it's not about if only for the people who are aware of it, but it's also for the people who are not aware of it to help them make a, make a right decision. Does she still not know, even though this is your primary business? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just quoting her an example. She knows everything. Yeah. Like, buddy, you got to talk more, man. <laughs> you got kids now. Come on. Oh, no, no. She, she supports me a lot for eight hours a day. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't no, know. I work actually, I work actually 16 hours a day. 16, yeah, I was going to say that. eight hours. How optimistic yeah. of me. Yeah, um, I'll come to that later. And I, I would really thank her because she supported me. She's one of the few, few wife you can, say. a few wife you can expect that she let me sell my home for the business right. so i i she's she just totally a placeholder in this case a placeholder yes. for the casual consumer right um, <laughs> yes but i'm completely with you and you touched on a point which is that obviously the number one thing that we can do and, and people growing up in my generation in america you're taught the three r's reduce reuse recycle but of course mm -hmm. people place so much emphasis on recycle i think people place less emphasis on reuse and reduce so, of course, mm -hmm. to your point, the less stuff that gets into the garbage, the less stuff that has to be processed by anybody in general, the better. Yep. So if you can prevent yep. something from going in the bin, obviously you mm -hmm. are preventing a lot of all of that other stuff from happening. Because, like you said, somebody's got to drive. They've got to burn fossil fuels to come pick up your bin. They've got to tip that bin over. They've got to drive back. It's got to be sorted. Mm -hmm. This is all energy intensive. This is all labor intensive. So anything mm -hmm. that you can prevent from just going into the bin at all is yep. is positive and i like agreed, the idea of agreed. the ice cream cone 
Because again, we've learned, and I, I guess I didn't know that before I started doing the show, but I've learned now that that pla- uh, the paper coated in plastic is actually yep, one yep. of the worst things. Yes. So yes. you think, oh, this cup is recyclable, which is a variation on the same cup they it's, serve you that ice cream in. Mm-mm, nope. No, no. The layer it's of plastic not, yeah. makes it just horrible. So it's it's it. very hard to recycle that. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, I, I agreed. I mean, I mean, I feel that. I mean. It, my point is through fun and uniqueness, we can bring awareness to the consumer. And even if they're not aware of it, they will make the right choice. But because let's see, right? Let's let's say we go to a theme park and if if they give an option for, for a regular plastic spoon or a straw versus an edible spoon or a straw and ask you for pay, pay for like 25, 30 cents, I don't think many people would say, why, why should I not? So why shouldn't I? So that actually helps the businesses also. One thing I realized again in the early, early stages of my researches, there's a vicious cycle right now. Unfortunately, people like people would say, "Hey, companies do better for the better for the environment," and companies will expect governments to do something about it. But governments will expect people to do. Everyone's pointing fingers at each other, oh, and we're just sure leaving are. everything behind. So I think I be, I believe everyone has to play a role, and that's one of the reasons why we decided this product was even at a at a like a chain level. Let's say like Yogurt Land or any big ice cream chain or yogurt chain they're using three to four million spoons per month if they can if they can replace that with an edible spoon they can actually make more profits because it's edible they can give it as a topping it's like how they source the cone for a few cents and they sell it for a dollar at a store right similar to that right. so well, it's, i, it's I also, feel that it's a win-win ahead. situation oh absolutely and a few days ago as of this taping the ceo of nestle released a statement saying that it was all up to the governments, sort of saying, like, we're just a humble, small little player. Like, what what difference could we make? We're just a small little multinational, multi-billion dollar corporation. But that was the tone. I I thought, who on earth? Do you actually believe that? Or are you just that evil? Like, come on. Uh, Because, again, they they can flip a switch and make huge changes. uh, to add on that, right? I mean, I don't want to name any names because they might be my customers in the future. <laughs> but, yes, fingers uh, crossed. So, yes, yes. The, 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 most of the big companies, unfortunately, I see right now, I've been seeing this for 10 years, not just right now. They keep they keep changing their dates. Like, oh, they're like, oh, by 2025 or by 2050, we'll do something about it. Right. I, actually, they have the power to do something in the next year itself. They have the resources, they have the money, they have the people. If they want to implement a change, it's not that hard for them, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's really. I, not. I, I, I don't know if you saw the plastic uh, episode by John Oliver, like the last week tonight by John Oliver. Oh, I he love a, that show. Yeah, he Huge did an amazing. Fan. He he made a statement which really synced me. That was like all the big corporations love to recycle their claims of about recycling, not re, mm. not actual recycling. That is good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's so true, and it's like you have the autopilot feature on a Tesla, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's going to auto brake before you have a collision. So it's like collision detected in 150 feet. Well, we're going to break in 300 feet. It's yep. like, you mean after it's too late, you know, the problem needs to be solved right now, not in 2050. 2050 is way too late for all of this stuff. Let's be honest, especially with That's something true. as simple as a spoon. And, and again, like at McDonald's, all of these multinational corporations, how easy mm-hmm. is it for them to just say, hey, we're going to use Dinesh's spoon instead of this plastic spoon, which, you know, brings us to the point that always comes up in discussions like this, which is cost. 
Do you mm -hmm. think that your solution is going to ever be cost effective in the same way that plastic will be? Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, no, because ours is made with food grains. So because crude oil is very cheap and the, and the plastic is a byproduct, it's not even the main product. So they literally get it for free. So it's super hard for us to bring down to the cost of a plastic spoon. But there is an advantage here, though. If you consider it as a just a utensil, which you give it away for free, it takes time. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's it's gonna happen overnight. But if you consider this as a profit generating, let's say McDonald's, which uses like hundred million plastic spoons per year, if they switch to a compostable spoon or some other spoon which is more eco-friendly, they'll be paying three times more at least to to make that switch happen. But my pitch to them is if you convert to edible, even though you pay 10 times more, you can actually charge and offset that to the customer because it's food item that you're giving. It's not just something that you use and throw away. So that's that's where I, I uh, it's kind of a win for us because we we consider it as a profit generating product rather than rather than just an extra expense to the to the bill. Again, it's very hard because people are like imagine when cones got introduced into the into the into the like the mainstream, right? It was people. It's very new for everyone. So it's similar to that. It will take some time, but I believe that it will happen, no matter if not now or in the sooner in sooner or later, because people want these changes, right? Like if you like, for example, our Shark Tank video was posted on YouTube. It got like 4.1 million views in two months, three months actually, and about 3,000 comments are like, "Hey, I would definitely pay 25 cents at any place that I go to if I'm given an option with that." And if I'm selling them at 15 cents, they make 10 cents per straw or per spoon. That's a good money for them on their, their to make it makes their financial teams happy also, not just the sustainability teams. And by the way, I'm not even talking about return customers because of eco-friendliness and sustainability and all that. Right. That makes sense. Well, and of course, when you talk about ice cream, it lends itself to ice cream, I think. <laughs> The other thing that you mentioned is that it, uh, 30 minutes you have with hot soup. <laughs> so you better yeah, eat yeah. that soup quick. Is that something that you can increase? Is 30 minutes yeah. enough time when it comes uh, to again, something like soup? 30 minutes is more like if you leave the spoon in the soup for like, like just like that. But you keep taking it out, right? You don't leave the spoon and wait for 30 minutes and then you consume it. It's very rare that you do that. And generally, if the soup the soup gets colder by the time, like in 15 minutes or 20 minutes. It's not that it's going to stay very hot. So, uh, and we have savory spoons like oregano chili, black pepper, that. and plain. And that's how we, we, you can use them for those. And our vanilla and chocolate are mostly used for desserts. And we, we just came out with a straw. So this is our straw. And cool. I will be releasing it on our online like next next month, uh, early awesome. starting next month. Yeah, and you can just eat them. And this stays for one, one hour in a milkshake. So you plenty of time to drink. How long yeah. does it stay in soda? Uh, soda, it's similar, actually, about 50, 50, 60 minutes. Actually, because of the gas um, and the, the carbon dioxide in the in the soda, it, it gets a little more soggier, but it's it's fine. At, at the top of the straw, is fine. Only at the end of the straw, it gets a little soggier. Because that's the common complaint right now about the paper straws yep. where you do yep, see yep. them. It's like you can't even finish your drink before <laughs> yeah. the, saw, the straw gets soggy. So it, it, it works better in all our trials. It works better than a paper straw for both. Cool. That's and great. and so, even if you and even if you get a taste, it's a food taste. You don't feel the paper taste out of it. So it's food. That's why. Well, that's an interesting thing. You don't often think of having cutlery having nutrition facts like you have on your yeah. box. Because when it is a food, <laughs> yeah. you have different considerations. Like what kind of food is it? What's it made out of? And what does it taste like? Is Does mm -hmm. it start flavoring the soup 
does it start leaching off right away or does no, it No, no, not right away, not right away in 15 15 20 minutes be, by the time it leaves it you leave the spoon there. So one of the initial customers that we had were caterers. They were very very strict on telling me that do not make it too flavorful because they don't want to this the spoon or the spork to highlight the product that they have because they, the the product that they make the serve is what they need to sell this is more like an add on like a like a topping that they expect it so our flavors are very subtle it doesn't change the food that you eat with but if you bite it yes you feel the flavor but if you don't bite it you generally don't feel the flavor when you're licking so, it or when you're scooping what it. what can i compare it to if i eat this spoon uh, a savory uh, spoon what is the uh, experience like it's like a crouton like a like a spiced mm. crouton um or if you have ever eaten a pizza which gets really hard, it's something like that. I would say the Oregano chili one. So mm. it's 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 more like a cracker, like a salty cracker, uh, oh. but not too much. It's very subtle though. You don't feel that that much of flavor like how you feel for other crackers or anything. On our vanilla spoons, it feels like a fortune cookie. The the hardness or the strength and very sense. similar. It's less sweeter, not as sweet as a fortune cookie, but it's a little less sweeter. Is it hard to crunch or fairly easy? Yeah, it is. It is. It is, it is quite crunchy. It is quite crunchy. Okay. Yeah, so but not too like crunchy. Crouton, not too crunchy. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah. Like a, if it's like a crouton, then maybe what I could do is if I have an after dinner salad, I can just break it apart and yeah, crumble yeah, it on top yeah. of my salad. And yeah, yeah. See, and and again, again, eating part is. If, if if people have, have enough, I mean, I'm pretty, by the time you eat the food, sometimes you're not hungry enough. You, I don't expect to throw away, even if you eat few bites of it and throw the rest. The point here is you can throw away without thinking whether it, it's going to decompose or not because it's food. So it decomposes like food. That sounds very cool, man. So, all right, let's describe the journey because I read from your bio that you had this idea. You you come from an entrepreneurial background. You've always had these sorts of ideas. You come from India, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, how did you begin the process? Because everybody has an idea. How did you actually turn your idea into a reality? Sure. Um, by the way, uh, I've been an engineer before this. Um, okay. I came to came to the USC for my master's in 2007, and after that, I, I've been living in the Bay Area, working my life through like for big corporate companies, semiconductor companies, um, and. As I mentioned, back in 2018, I got this feeling. I mean, actually, I invested a couple of uh, software startups uh, and was an, as an angel investor, been doing my part and all that stuff. And suddenly, this lightning moment came at an ice cream shop that we need to do something about it. And that, actually, I had the entrepreneurial itch. I, I prepared. I took some courses. I did whatever I could to learn myself as much as I can. And when I wanted to start, I completely switched my initial thought process of doing some software or hardware or app-based startup to something that saves the world. That was my whole goal. Because I, I thought everyone is doing, like to make money, they're making a software app or something like that, I right? So I, I wanted to do something where I can help the world even if I don't make that much money. So that's how it started this. And it was not easy because I came from an engineering background and this is a food industry. This was like completely uh, off the beaten path <laughs> to quote your <laughs> yeah. show. So <laughs> I, yeah, and and I was like, okay, let me first figure out how to make this way, find the manufacturer, and then I'll come and think about the the, the industry and how to pitch to the industry and all that stuff. So I went to India, Asia, and other places where 
they were doing other types of manufacturing. I found my co-founder and my partner who was also thinking of the same thing. And he was a mechanical engineer. I'm an electrical engineer. So his name is Krival Patel and he's my partner too. And we together figured out a way to make these edible cutlery possible. So he kind of figured out a machine first, which makes it a very, very small scale, like one spoon for every one hour or like every two hours. And then I helped him to change the process and uh, helped him scale. And then we could make like 10 to 15 spoons per hour. That's what we were at. And I thought, okay, this is good enough. Let's take the product back to the US and pitch it to the prop, to the people. Now, my biggest question is, how do I pitch to a, an industry which I'm completely new at? So I came across a few trade shows. I heard that when I just Googled like where to meet all the food buyers and all that stuff. And I came across a trade this concept called trade shows and where do you go pitch the customers and all that. There was like cater source in New Orleans. This was like 1st of February when I was searching on Google and they had a show on 14th of February. There were just two weeks. I just immediately called them and said, hey, can I come and pitch this product? Can I have a booth? They're like, okay, yeah, this is the cost of the booth. We still have available. You can come and pitch it. You're going to Make it. I'm like, I don't have that much money. Can you give me a discount? Mm. This is like a product which saves the planet and all. I did my pitch about, you know, uh, saving the planet. They're like, okay, they were very nice. They said, okay, we'll give you like half off. You can take it wow. for half the price. I'm like, okay, let me pay for it. And I just immediately went to New Orleans. And the, the most funniest part is I went there with a suitcase and of bag, just with few spoons and paper printouts. I didn't know that I had to have a booth with like a lot of banners, all the fancy stuff oh, right. and everything. Yeah. I had I had no clue. That was my first trade show in my life. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I had no clue, zero clue what needs to be there because it was my first one. I thought initially I'll visit, but I had an opportunity to go present it also, exhibit it there. So I did, I didn't care. I thought it's fine. I went there. There were no tables, no chairs, nothing was there. I was like, what do I do? How do I show the product? Then I like, oh, you have to order it ahead. You can't do it now. I'm like, okay, I can't do anything. Like, I just went to Walmart, rented out, a, took a table and a couple of chairs, came back to the show, put the put the table, not, and just put a few spoons on the on the, on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and the flyers and people start caterers start coming and it was like two day two and a half day show and they, I my concept was just to understand how this thing works I didn't even had an intention to sell anything there I just wanted to go and understand how this industry works meet people ask questions you know learn and thankfully one caterer from Canada he came back this the last day and he said what is the best cost that you could give me at that time my product were like 40 cents because it was like that was my rough estimation. We couldn't even make 100 per day. He came and told me that I'll place an order of 150,000 spoons right on this table right now. Whoa. Can, you, can, you give, can you give me the best cost? <laughs> that was my first order. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. So, yes, did, I, did you I say was yes? like... I was like, I was shocked first. I like, I didn't know what to say. I was like thinking, well, how do I fulfill this order first? So then I, I told him, is it possible to give me like six months of time for this? I can do it and I, I will give you the cost at whichever the product is made, like the cogs. I don't, I won't add any profits. I don't even know what that cost is right now, but I will try to, you know, minimize it as much as you can. He said, okay, like follow up with me after a week. So I came back home. I told this to my wife and I told her immediately, we have to sell the home. I had a home in California at the time. And I, I told her, we need to sell this home. Uh, otherwise, I, we can't we can't fulfill this order. Wow. So I sold the home. I took that money, invested what? back in India, scaled up the facility. Within six months, we fulfilled that order. So did you move back to India to do that? No, 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 no. I was in California. Only. Oh, you were, I, I, okay. I, so what did you do then? So you sold your home and then what? 
No, I, I've been. I, I mean, I sold my home. Whatever profits I made from the home, yeah. I send them to India to make. The, oh, I see to, what you mean. Because yeah, my partner, right. my my partner was taking care of the facility there. He lives right. in India. Okay, so gotcha. he 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 scaled it up, and we 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 could actually pr- produce like about fifteen uh, fifteen hundred per day at that time. So we 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 scaled it up immediately. We ordered the molds. We ordered all the new machines that we need. We took care of everything ourselves. No investors, nothing. It's just like selling my home and getting it done. And I that's when I started renting it. out and came so expensive and by the way i still had my job at the time so it's not that i'm like as like you know uh, i could so take care of my family hustle. yeah Now, i i did, mean i wouldn't call it a side or so <laughs> yeah okay. but you you kept mm-hmm. a job which is a question yes, yes. that a lot of people have because i think people in your position they always wonder at what point do you leave that job at what point do you um, go all in your new venture Mm-hmm. So, for my personal perspective, I pledged myself not to take any penny out of my business till I replace hundred million plastic cutlery, which is a day of consumption in the U.S. So that's that's why I thought I need to have my job to take care of my family for the rent for the food that we need to eat if I'm not taking anything from the business. So, okay. And I felt that it gives me that confidence because see the problem I felt is a lot of entrepreneurs if they go really really down. people would say otherwise they say that it will give you the ideas to grow you'll become really big and all that stuff but i feel that i have this cushion of financial like i would say freedom to to invest more in the company to think more about to take more risks in the company because i see i'm content with what i had like i had i had a good family i had a decent salary it, it's helping my family to feed themselves and you know take care of them now i'm i'm i don't have to think too much about that my complete thought process even if 6 or 8 7 hours i work a day it's completely on the business how do i grow this how do i make the best impact possible and do you still have a job today or is that yes switched? i i still do have a job even after okay. selling 3 million 3 million spoons because again i i have to sell 100 million uh, cutlery to not to switch my job because that's my yeah. pledge right i'm not yeah. going to take any money and bo- me my partner here in in the us i i got an partner here too is called Jack his name is Jack and he's in Colorado even he works because he doesn't take any money too so we're like purely working on this for the passion purposes and making the impact first yes the money will come later but but we want to make sure that the impact goes first all the time i mean that's remarkable right there and Thank that you. spits in the face of every entrepreneurship book you've ever seen right the founder yeah. the the vc people must love you though because they love the idea of a founder who takes zero salary right no Investors. actually <laughs> it 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 i thought so too but uh i'm i'm too strict on my impact goals so that 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 pisses off people because i'm not too much into like oh i need to make this much margin this much profits because i'm like hey it's as we scale we'll bring down the cost by the way from 40 cents we brought it down to 15 cents now incredible so that, if if i if i if i had stuck with my margins i wouldn't have done that that's i mean it's it's remarkable because you've just discussed a series of steps that we've covered mm-hmm. in quick in 30 seconds that you could almost gloss over and not even think about but in 30 seconds we've discussed a series of pretty key steps of you beating the often path <laughs> doing yeah. things that very few other people would do first of all selling your home to invest in your business because people often wonder where does the money come from so you've committed to it in that way which a lot mm-hmm. of people would not be willing to do you've chosen not to take any money from the business until you meet a goal that is not related to your personal wealth again mm-hmm. a thing that very few people would do because the only reason their only reason I'm building a business is to become a millionaire or to have a Lamborghini or to have that nice house all of those things that's the typical thought when people think mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship or the entrepreneurial goals 
So you've created vastly different goals for yourself and your business than the average person would do. And not only that, you have uh, recognized what is enough for you. And I think so few people seem to have a concept of what is enough, enough how much yeah. is actually enough. And you yeah. say, you know what? The job is enough for me. My family is enough. I don't need more than this to yeah. be happy, but I do need yeah. to be working on this mission thing that is very important yeah. to me to be happy. I, I think that's so amazing. Why is it thank that you. so few people think along those lines? So, uh, I mean, I thank that thought process of mine to my dad because when I was young, I remember this very well to the day till now. This was yeah. like when I was in eighth grade. I was I was living in a different city from where I was born. And he when he, he came to visit me. I was, in a, I was in a boarding school and he came to visit me. And then uh, he took me out. He took me to a very, very expensive hotel, which was like one of the like five-star hotels at the time. I never I never been to such an expensive hotel in my life before. So he we went there, we had, we spent a night, we had dinner, we did everything, all the, all the good stuff there. And the next day we were planning to come back to our place. We booked a train and the train got delayed. It got delayed by eight hours. It, it was like, it was like 10, 10 p.m. in the night. So I was asking him, hey, let's go to another hotel or like, you know, another motel or just go stay somewhere. He's like, take your blanket out, put the blanket on the platform, sleep here. I was super pissed. I was like, "Why should I do that? Why? I, 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 we have enough money. We can go back to the any expensive hotel we want. Why should? Why should? You know? Uh, why should we sleep here? It's like, I don't care. You have to do it. I'm doing it. You have to do it. And he made me do that. It, I mean, it made me very angry at the time. But then later, I understood that the whole point he did this was, irrespective of you have so much, you know, lavish life or doesn't matter where you are in the end happiness comes from within you it's not coming from outside so can you guarantee all the rich people are happy no we can't guarantee that so so that that kind of got settled into my mind and i realized that hey uh it, it's it's a never enough whatever you have if you're happy with it that's then it's good yeah i completely understand and that's a feeling that uh, i didn't have personally until relatively recently in my life, I had a lot of turmoil in my life because I moved so many times and I moved internationally. I chose to reset a bunch of times. And I know what it's like to start over from mm -hmm. essentially nothing. I mean, not nothing, nothing. I recognize that I've been yeah. very privileged, but I've started over twice because I moved to a foreign country with nothing twice. Mm -hmm. And then you have to build it all up again. But that journey has led me to understand that family is the most important thing. Yep. To me. I think you and I have similar feelings in that way. And that for right now, I have a very, very, very concrete idea of what is enough for me in my own mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I can truly say that the only thing that I want in the entire world, the only material thing that I want that I don't have right now is a bathtub. <laughs> because I have a shower <laughs> and it doesn't have a bathroom. And sometimes after a stressful, I was like, I wish I could take a bath. Yeah, I can't that, take a bath. That, so I think maybe that's, one that's day. That's reasonable. Right. That's reasonable. But that's literally it. I don't crave yeah. a fancier yeah. car. I don't yeah. crave any of these outward shows. I don't care about watches. I don't wear them. I don't yeah. have necklaces. I don't have any of that crap. I don't yeah. care about any of it. I don't want any of it. I'm happy with my car. It's a basic car. I love my life. I just want a bathtub. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, but so, even that's like some years down the road, right? One day I'll yeah. splurge on a bathroom. And 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 actually, it helps the planet too if you think, because the more the more you buy, the more you're wasting it in the end. Yeah. So I mean, being that minimalist or being that like, okay, I'm happy with what I have. That attitude helps the planet a lot, because if you're not buying more, then you're not consuming more, and if you're not consuming more, you can't create more waste in any way.
you know, have you ever seen that movie, The Queen of Versailles? Came out no, a while ago. It's a documentary, no. uh, let's say 10, 15 years. Very much worth watching, I think, for somebody like you. I think I've mentioned it before mm-hmm. on the show, but it's a really rich, very materialistic woman, very materialistic family building this mm-hmm. luxurious compound from scratch, a massive house, let's just mm-hmm. say 30 bedroom, all of that filled with junk, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a couple things that struck me from that that I take with me everywhere I go. One is that even when they had all this crap, they would still load up the family and go to McDonald's, which I always thought was hilarious. They'd go to the McDonald's <laughs> drive and then contribute to all the plastic waste and all the plastic cover. Yeah. So it said, okay, you can be rich and not have good taste. <laughs> Being rich does not mean that you have good taste. That's one thing. But then the other thing is they had some problems building this estate and they have all this stuff. And you might look at it as collectibles, even art, even statues, fancy things, expensive things. But then in the end, you realize when it came time to move, all of those fancy things was just garbage. It was all just junk. No matter how much it's worth, it's just a bunch of crap that you have to take care of. And that that was it was a burden. And you could see from that show that it was a burden, that it wasn't helping Mm. their life in Mm. any way. It was only hurting them. And when I watched that, that really changed in my heart my feeling about Mm -hmm. stuff. Yep, that's true. That's true. Again, I, I, I'll try. I'm trying to imbibe my thoughts to my son and my daughter too. I keep telling them, if you want a new toy, you have to give away your old toy. So, That's a great lesson. So, I mean, because otherwise they wouldn't know, right? They just want to uh, get, get more, get more, get more. How old are they? So, uh, eight-year-old and four-year-old. So. Okay. So it's easier with the eight-year-old, but the four-year-old, I bet it's tough <laughs> to make them understand. Yeah, yeah. But actually, she understands it. She, <laughs> okay. She may, because, I, I mean, whenever I used to go to, again, whenever do we, we have a yearly cleanup. We take out whatever we don't use, no matter what it is. And uh, we, we give it to the Salvation Army to, so that others can use. And they, I, I used to take with them in my car all the time. So they kind of knew that, okay, this is something that we should do from the, from like, from the very young ch- age onwards. So... That's incredible. A great lesson for any parent out there. Well, I, along you. these lines, you downsized your life. I mean, in a sense, because you moved from the Bay Area mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Raleigh, North Carolina. So mm-hmm. that's a very conscious decision that you made. How do you feel on the other side of that decision? Do you feel that it was worth it? Because, again, if you read business books, they say there's so many advantages to being in the Bay Area. There's so many oh, advantages uh, to being in the Silicon Valley culture that, when it comes to startups, all that. That might make sense, but... It, this Asian world, especially after COVID, everything has become more virtual. I mean, I, I kind of agree with them when it was more physical, where you have to go and pitch, where you have to be personally available. But now everyone got used to like how we're doing it virtually right now. So it's it's I feel that it's okay. And for me, the biggest advantage of moving here was I still have a job, right? So my job is in California. So I work from 12 to 8 in the in the in the east coast time so i have dedicated four or five hours in the morning for my business which i lacked when i was in california because i do i used to split them in the morning and in the evening it was like very messy it was very hard especially with dropping off kids at school and all that stuff but now i have a dedicated time in the morning and in the night i also work from 9 to 12 so four hours in the morning four hours in the evening uh, i have dedicated time for my business and in the, in the middle eight hours is for my job so i kind of it, it works out very nicely in that way and my kids have a, a decent backyard now because before in california having a backyard is a huge thing so sure. so yeah it's tough yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and do you feel, and also I, I, sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say do you feel exhausted doing that 
Oh, I I never felt exhausted till recently because uh, I, I mean that that push that oh I'm I'm actually replacing like say if I sold 15 20000 spoons to this month oh wow I replaced 20000 plastic spoons so that kind of pushed me a lot but I think my age is catching up on me so after doing this for 3 years consistently for sleeping only 6 hours 5 hours a day uh, now I feel a little burnout and that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to raise my seed round, try to hire like full-time people. Even if I can't go full-time, I can hire full-time people. So I'm trying to expand my team and do something better about it, but it's been pretty challenging. This year is like the worst year to raise any money, unfortunately. So, so yeah, but then uh, now I feel the burn. And the second, iron, the irony is I'm kind of doing this for my kids so that they have a better future in the, in, when they grow up, especially they, they'll have less plastic to consume. Um, but I'm not spending enough time with them. That's my biggest complaint because I'm, I know I'm doing it for them, but I'm not spending time with them. So, mm. Do you work weekends too? Yes, yes, yes. There's no weekend for me for the last two, three years. Seven days a week. Yeah, I, I mean, I my wife told me that I have to spend like five to six hours on a Sunday or so, Saturday or Sunday, doesn't matter, dedicated to them, don't open the laptop or my phone. So I, I try to do it, but sometimes my hand, my hand goes to my phone and say, hey, okay, yeah. what, what's going on? So do you, um, does your job expect things of you during the weekend? No, no, no. My job doesn't. I mean, I... So the weekend I, I, is just focus time on the business. Yeah, mostly business. Yeah. My, I've been folk, uh, my job has been uh, pretty flexible thanks to my manager and uh, I, I, and I've been, I have pretty good experience there. So it's not that I'm always wanted there. Do they support and accept your other mission? Do they know about it? Yes, they do. They do know. We, we can't hide it because uh, it's, uh, it, it might... There are some legal issues, so we have to just declare. As long as it doesn't affect that business, we're they're okay with it. It's like okay. I think a lot of big companies have this moonshot program where people can work on something else too. Mm, interesting, because yeah, that's the one of the defining issues of of the time right now in this remote work is mm-hmm. what is work, yeah, and what yep. can you do yep. and when can you do it. That's what you see in the news all of the time, especially mm-hmm. for employees or people who are operating as employees. Yeah, there's that is true. It's a culture thing. Some culture, uh, some company cultures seem to value it, and they say, "Great," but especially something like this, you would think that mm-hmm. anybody would mm-hmm. value it, but obviously mm-hmm. not anybody, not no. anybody would. You don't want to work for those companies. Agreed, agreed. I again, I thank. That's what I believe in. This that I'm trying to help nature to heal itself, yeah. and uh, it will definitely give me the luck that I need, especially on all these aspects where there's a bigger hurdles of me doing it or not doing it and all that. So, and again, my story is how I bought my home here and and rally is also I didn't have any money because I was spending all my money to my business. So whatever I saved from my job and whatever I got it in my business, I'm just investing again and again. So uh, just before COVID hit, um, I had some spare like ten thousand uh, dollars from my savings that I got my bonus from my office. And I thought, I'll, let me just put it in the stock because stocks have got very badly hit because of COVID. Yeah. And that that was the only in an investment I made outside my business in the last three years. Wow. And luckily, it, it tripled or quadrupled within one year. And I wow. immediately said, okay, let me buy a home and rally because I could afford it Good there, job. even at that small amount of money. And, and I, I came here. So I, I believe that nature is giving me the luck that it's taking care of me when I'm taking, trying to take care of it. Well, it looks like now might be a good time to invest again because the stock market. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I'm, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm happy with what I have now, so I don't have to do any more because yeah, okay. I, I wanted to do that because I, I felt 3,800, 4,000 per month rent is pure waste of money. It's just going nowhere. 
So would you would you consider yourself a Las Vegas style gambler? Do you like gambling? No, no, not at all. That's I, a, I, a leading I, question. I, yes, yes. I, I prefer to be very less risky in the sense that, mm. I mean, especially till we are settled. Like once we are comfortable, then we can risk more. But till we are comfortable, we need to make sure we act on it the way that we know. That is the greatest, and and Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talk about that. That seems to be one of the greatest weakness of human beings in general. When it mm-hmm. comes to money, is that you say I made a I, I made a hundred percent on NFTs. Well, could I make four hundred percent? I four x my money. Could I eight x it? No, no, no. <laughs> cash out, cash out. Take what you can, because Vegas just relies on people coming yeah, back because everybody true. wants a little more. Yeah, you have enough, but could you have a little more? Could you have a little more? And then you end up with nothing because you yep. wanted just a little bit more. So the idea of enough, and I can't remember who said it, but somebody's famously said it to a billionaire. It's an old adage, and the viewers and listeners they can look this up. Uh, but it's a it's a good story. Somebody who didn't have much money was talking to a billionaire. I don't know if it's true or not or if it's just an adage. And uh, they said, I feel sorry for you. And the billionaire said, why? And they said, because I have something that you'll never have. And the billionaire thought, what? What could you possibly have that I'll never have? And then they said, a concept of what is enough. (laughs) That is true. That is absolutely true. And especially in today's climate of billionaires, you have to think to yourself, what do you want? What on earth do you want or think that you need when you have fifty billion dollars? Yeah, that that's that's I, again. I I never understand that point. I keep telling that's one thing that moves away the investors from my R side because when I keep telling about like, hey, my intention is not to make ten x of your returns, I mean of your money invested, but I'm planning to make impact first and then give you reasonable three to four times returns. No one likes to hear that. Everyone mm-hmm. loves, loves to hear, oh, if I'm going to get 10x or 100x. But I, I'm outright open. Even I, in my slide, I have clearly mentioned that our goal is to provide you reasonable returns with a heavy impact rather than providing you heavy returns and reasonable impact. Mm-hmm. And that pushes away a lot of my invest uh, the pitches that I give, right? Because they're like, oh, I'm investing for money, not for, I mean, even the impact investors, they look for that. That was the most unfortunate thing that I faced, actually. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because, again, greed is a powerful motivator <laughs> no matter who yep. you are. I, I'm an impact investor. Are you, though? What do you really <laughs> want? Uh, but yeah. although, speaking of investors, you were on Shark Tank and successfully, mm-hmm. um, how did that process go? Was it a positive experience for you? And did your mission differentiate you in a positive way doing that or did it hurt you, do you feel? Um, yeah, it was actually a mixed uh, experience. I wouldn't completely, because on the positive side, they understood my pain, my passion. And the beauty of this show is the people understood my passion, because you will see in the, all the comments that they loved me, yeah. they loved my uh, like my, my passion towards it. Right. They understood what I'm what I'm talking about. That was the beauty of it. Even even the sharks realized that. Otherwise, why would they offer me four offers, even, even though I only had 170,000 in sales at the time? So... Um, one different thing, one of the beaten path things that we did in our journey was, which helped in the Shark Tank uh, was also that we took time to criticize the product. See, the edible spoons or sporks or whatever, straws, they were never there in the market before. So people didn't have anything to compare it against. So I intentionally sold less in the th- first two years to get feedback. I like I got like 2000 reviews out of which two, about, I think about 400 of them were negative reviews. And I focused only on the negative reviews. I know what's good in the product. It's it's our product, so we know we love it. 
so, but we wanted to know what is bad in that product because we, a lot of time, a lot of times, I feel entrepreneurs oversee that they think everything is amazing, the product is the best that it could be. I, I mean, but but then the reality is different too sometimes. So we wanted see again, this comes back to my goal, right? I want this to be a commodity like cone or like like a regular plastic spoon. If that has to happen, I need to make sure to perfect it as much as I can. So we went to that criticized cycle of what four to five times. By the time we reached that 80 to 85% acceptance rate, we stopped. We kind of like, we don't completely put a halt on it, but we kind of reduce that. And because of that, we sold less, and that's why we got less numbers and revenue. And our spoons are in cents. That's another headache that we have in the sense, even though I replaced 3 million plastic spoons, my revenue is only like 800K because that's it's in cents. So coming back to the pitch, the Shark Tank, they understood this. Uh, unfortunately, it ha- I mean, the Shark Tank goes on for like 60 to 80 minutes, even the show only like 10 minutes. Uh, so they, everyone loved the product. They loved me. So they gave me decent offers and I chose one. Um, and uh, people loved us. And after the tank, um, uh, it was very, I mean, the due diligence part and the sharks come back. And I can't disclose a lot of details, but sure. uh, the terms didn't really match what we discussed on the TV. So I had oh. to pull out. I had to pull wow. out. The change happens. I mean, a lot of times even founders will say no. It's not just about sharks or founders. Both the ways. It happens both the ways. Because you can't, investors can't decide about you within like one hour, right, of talking to you. So they need more right. time to think about it. So, uh, so again, I can't process. go into the deeper details. But yeah, that was a pretty bummer for me because I was like, ah. I was really hoping for, see, one thing I, I needed them, it's not about the money part. It's about the connections. The see, like, for example, I, I can't name this company they uh, they sell 70 million frosties per year so 70 million spoons are being used every year okay i i spoke Which with them for <laughs> I can't. I, uh, yeah, it's uh, you guys will know it. Yeah, I mean, it's a magic it's company. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I spoke with them. I spent about six months time with them, with their R and D teams, with their sustainability teams, with the recruitment teams. But I went from bottom up. I went with a small associate, a buyer, like a small manager. There's so many hurdles we faced, and it didn't go through. They had some small issues that I. They didn't even let people decide what whether this product works or not. So I felt that going top down, where the, if, if I can meet and pitch the CEO of that company, it would have been an easier pitch for me. Because if he says yes, the people under him will say yes. So in order, to meet, in order to meet those top brass, I mean, I need, I need connections like, like how sharks have, right? They have good connections with the, with the top levels of all these big companies. I, and I didn't have that. I didn't have any investors who had those connections, neither. I mean, I, so I was really hoping for the shark to invest so that we can actually get those connections. But I, I can't, unfortunately, I can't disclose a lot of details. Things have sure. gone in the wrong way. And the other frustrating experience a lot of people don't know is all five sharks talk to you at the same time. The TV, they do a very good job editing it. So they, it looks as if it's very smooth, but it's actually so, so, so garbled up. Because imagine you speaking with five people at the same time. Wow. It's not about how much you know about the product. It's not about how much you know about the numbers. It's about how you manage five people. Yeah, right. And they don't five, stop. They keep asking. They just keep asking. People. Yes, yes. And they just keep five asking. intense people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, just trying to get you off your guard. Yeah. Well, you know, I work with a big uh, uh, company. I work with a big company. I can't say their name, but they sell 50 million Cinnabons a year. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Hey, you should pitch. You should pitch our edible straws to that company. They have good Uh, number of drinks. Whatever that company is, they well, hey, they also need edible uh, spoons because if you purchase a Cinnabon, 
Yeah. That also comes with plastic. I mean, what doesn't? Right. We, we have a we have a spork for them, so you can see the spork here. Yeah, spork. What <laughs> what in a mall doesn't? Uh, Everything yeah, in a mall comes with a plastic cutlery. Every single thing. Yes. There yes. are many chains who need what you have. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that it didn't work out in the experience. No. Uh, I, yeah. Again, I told you it's mixed, you right? It would be. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, what I felt was it gave me the credibility. Now, if I ping mm. someone and say, "Hey, I am the nation. I we invented this. Why don't you try this?" Initially, they used to think of me as a scam artist because how how, how do they believe in me, right? I'm just a random person approaching them, asking something. So, but now I can just link my YouTube uh, Shark Tank video and say, "Hey, so." The credibility has come now because it's not someone trying to say something about some product. Yeah, and 4 million views, 300,000 comments, most positive. 3,000, 3,000. Oh, sorry, 3,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that, that is obviously something in, incredible. And I have heard that story before from other people who have, I've talked to who have been on Shark Tank where it was actually the exposure that helped their mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. most of all more than the deal. And there That's are true. people who said no on the air and still had an enormous boost of their business if the message was clear enough in the pitch, which, of course, your message is just so crystal clear. Thank you. And, and it does feel like one of those things that just should be inevitable. I just don't understand. And, and to the point of whether it's a government's responsibility or a corporation's responsibility, well, I, I kind of like the European approach in the sense that I think that a government should just yeah, outlaw yeah, that stuff. Yeah. I, I think but- it should be outlawed. <laughs> Yeah. No, I agree. But then that takes time, right? I mean, it's not every sure. government, not every party would would understand the problems well, here. Obvi- obviously yeah. not. I mean, obviously it's yes. not going to happen tomorrow. Certainly not in America. <laughs> yes. In yes. case yes. you've yes. paid attention to what's going on around here. <laughs> yeah. Can we get two people to agree on literally anything, <laughs> anything? in this country? Yeah. Literally yeah. anything? I don't yeah. think so. But I would like to see that. I'm just expressing my point of view. Yep, yep great, great. So <laughs> that's the reason why, why uh, yeah, even that's one of the reasons this product, I feel why it works out is corporates can actually make money because corporates love to make money. Yeah. So so any side income, I mean, even though they love to do sustainable stuff too, but that's always somehow pushed aside for yeah. the future. But immediately, if they, if, at least as a topping, forget about completely replacing it, which I would really want them to. But then even if they start giving it as a topping, then that's good enough as a, as a good start. Yeah. And it's also like, what is the concept? Because if you read business books and read about traditional business books, you'll learn that the idea of supersizing something at McDonald's was this mm-hmm. great invention there are a few inventions that are celebrated. They say, oh, when you offer, do you want to supersize that? You're increasing revenue by a small amount. Mm-hmm. But if you multiply that times millions of transactions, it's significant. So the person yeah. who came up with the Super Size Me concept at McDonald's was applauded. And yep. there's just there's a number of things where like plop, plop, fizz, fizz, Alka-Seltzer, instead of using one plop, fizz, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, suggests that you need to use two to get the dose, which isn't actually correct, but then they doubled their sales on the yeah. basis of that little ad campaign. So the idea of would you like to make this edible for a quarter more, it's yeah. along those same lines. So mm-hmm. if it's presented in such a way, and and, and certainly if it's an option, if yep. it's not even mandated, but it's just an option where would you like to do this for a quarter mm-hmm. more? And somebody says no, okay, fine, here you go. Take the other one that's cheap, save the money if you need to save that quarter. But for somebody else who would drop a quarter, I'd drop a quarter, I- mm-hmm. I'm with them. That's super mm-hmm. easy to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Super yep. easy to do for many people. 
Yep, yep, so that's my goal. Like but yeah, it takes some time, but because these corporates introducing anything new is a huge hurdle because there are too sure. many teams, too many things that they have to work with. So it will take some time, but I'm not going to give up. We we are trying our best to, you know, actually I'm speaking with a yogurt chain, which has like thousand spoons. They loved it. Everything is okay with them, except for the uh, sweetness. They want a little more sweet. So we are trying to work with them. So okay. we're getting there. Uh, again, it all, all it needs is one big guy to sign up on because once one person does it, everyone will follow it. So well, let's imagine we, we talk about luck and survivor bias a lot mm -hmm. of the time. So let's imagine that you didn't get that initial order from the Canadian person for 150,000 spoons. Yeah. How do you think that your trajectory would have changed if that didn't happen? That it would have been more slower uh, in the sense that I would still go. To, I, I, by the way, that first year I went to nine trade shows total. And half of them are, they gave me at a discount or free because I just convinced them. I just call them and I'm very frugal because see, in the end, it's my money, right? I'm, I'm literally burning out my savings. So I am very cautious up to the penny where it's being where it's being used. So when I used to travel for the trade stores, I used to live in hostels, no hotels, no hotels at all because they were too expensive for me. So it, uh, so I used, to, uh, I used to meet a lot of people. And another thing I did, did very well was pitching to all these places. Like most of the trade shows have competitions pitch competitions, pitch slams, all these things. I always used to go participate. So that brought us an order of awareness. In fact, mm. Shark Tank approached us because we won an award in one of the trade shows. I don't know which one, but right after it happened, they just I got an email from their producer saying, hey, do you want to come on Shark Tank? So Ooh. so, so that's, I mean, it would have, even if I had not gotten that order, I wouldn't have scaled so fast, but because of the order, I had to scale so fast. And then I was able to immediately fulfill some of the customers that if they need some product. Well, I think it's remarkable, Dinesh. Uh, we're approaching the end of our hour. I applaud you. I love your mission, and I love... I had a sense that you were off the beaten path before we chatted, but now I know for a fact and why. And again, like we said, a couple subtle twists make your story and your priorities very different than many of the people mm -hmm. you talk to. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on this show, because that is the kind of story that I am trying to present here. I'm trying to present an alternative way of looking at money, of looking mm -hmm. at life, of looking at your career. I'm trying to present an alternative metric for success other than just made a shitload of money. <laughs> I'm trying to show that there are other values that one can have. And of course, the underlying premise is that there is a sense of, let's call it happiness or fulfillment on the other mm -hmm. side of committing to these things that are larger than yourself. So yep. my final question for you, since you spent so many years working in the corporate environment before you began this process, Mm -hmm. Other than the burnout aspect, which I assume you'll solve in time, do you feel somehow more fulfilled or more happy on a personal level having integrated this mission into your life? Absolutely. So imagine if I had I did not start this. I would be a regular normal person looking out for normal money or help, helping without what we have. But now, like let's say if I'm on my deathbed in a few years, I'll be like, okay, Forget about all the Shark Tank, all the viewership, forget about all that stuff, that's that's temporary. In the end, I would say, hey, okay, as a person, as a human being, I was able to contribute less, like about three or five million plastic spoons less. That that go, comes with me whenever I go, because it's, again, it's not just about how much money we make, how much the company has grown, it's not, it's just about how much impact I made. And that puts me up on the on the heels all the time, like on the feet, I just, just I want to, I, it gives me that immense, that unknown satisfaction. I, I can't really describe it, but that satisfaction is very internal. I like, okay, I'm happy with what I have. I mean, this is good. I've already done my part as much as I could. So, and uh, I just want to end with one statement that 
are another off the beaten path that we took as a company. Since the beginning, all our products are carbon and plastic negative certified. I saw that. Yeah. Very cool. And you're even addressing things such as the tiny piece of tape that needs to be on a box, yes. the glue that connects the yes. box, all of these tiny little things, these details yes. that people yes. think don't matter. But again, when you multiply them times millions yeah. and billions of sales, they do matter. Each little bit yeah. adds up. And I'd love to see people just chipping away at it, just reducing the amount of single-use plastic mm -hmm. would be amazing. That's true. But thanks Thank to you, you, we actually have a shot at getting there. So, Dinesh, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you for sharing your story. Super cool. You got a big fan over here. Um, where do you want to send people anything you want to promote? Wrap this show up here. Sure, sure. Uh, before I promote, I want to make sure that only buy this product if you absolutely need it. If you're using the stainless steel cutlery at home, please continue using that. But if you have a party or event, or even if you're going to take out, or if you're just going outside for eating an ice cream shop, buy the spoons or forks or straws. Take it, put the, put a few in your car. You can you can reach you can find them at IncredibleEats.com or at Amazon. Either way, and there are a few ice cream shops here and there where you can find these as an option too. So. Please support Fantastic. us and really thank you for this opportunity, Ross. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for sharing your valuable time. It's been a pleasure. And with that, the official podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs>